The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get the team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus, drinkaware.co.uk. Hi, it's Alfie here, the presenter of The Ruck. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to tell you about Funding Circle. Funding Circle backs small and medium UK businesses with simple, competitive business finance. They've supported over 90,000 British businesses with £12 billion in finance since 2010. So if you're looking to overcome challenges or push your business forward, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. And for that reason, they've teamed up with Saracens and England hooker Jamie George. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Hello and welcome to The Ruck. I'm Alex Lowe and the referee for today's episode. So controversial decisions are guaranteed. And if anyone starts yelling at me, I'll just become more and more dismissive. Fortunately, I'm joined today by the referee whisperer, Sam Warburton, the former <laughs> Wales and Lions captain. Lawrence Delalio, the former England captain who's never whispered anything in his life, also joins us along with Owen Slot, the loudmouth rugby correspondent for The Times. Gents, we have plenty to discuss. Wales for the Grand Slam. What's Warren Gatlin looking for in a Lions captain? And which member of the France setup is for the guillotine? But first, Sam, happy St David's Day. I bet it's particularly happy down with you. And, and how are we all? Yeah, good. I had the carnage this morning of getting the little ones dressed up in rugby tops and Welsh ladies' outfits and things like that. So <laughs> uh, I've got toothpaste all over me now, so I just got golly in the nick of time after the, the preschool carnage. But uh, no, all good, thanks. Yeah, very good. You look pretty good in your Welsh ladies' outfit. <laughs> I didn't know we were all supposed to wear one of those today. <laughs> How was Cardiff for you guys? Oh, it was... I mean, it, it always delivers, doesn't it? You know, Wales, England always delivers. And I can understand, like, so much of the frustration. And I'm sure you guys are the same. Like, you know, your Twitter feeds, social media feeds have been going crazy with people who are disagreeing. But I guess that's, that's the that's the beauty of rugby. And it? like, it's so hard to, and the Six Nations, it's so hard to predict what's going to happen. I did not see Wales 3 from 3. I'll, I'll put my hand up, I'll be honest. I think I predicted them to come fourth. So it just showed, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought Scotland would have won on week one and... But that's what's great. And we, we were here, weren't we, like about four weeks ago, and we said there's always going to be an upset. Like, there's always an upset. And, and there's been more than I expected already. So it is, it's been a great tournament from that perspective. We don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, you said then, you know, Welsh Grand Slam. My first thought is, well, no. But then, what? like, <laughs> it could be. Like, we don't know. It could be. Like, who knows what's going to happen with France, which we'll, we'll dive deeper into, whether they're going to have to end up giving points or... I, I, who knows? So yeah, it's everything's on, it's, it's on the table for sure. Slotty, you you were down there and you had a, a ringside view that the press box in Cardiff is is about four four rows back from the edge of the, edge of the pitch. What was your perspective on on the game? And, and I guess we ought to go sort of straight into the the first twenty minutes really, and, and those those big decisions that got made. Well, I love the Principality Stadium. I think it's the most 
I think it's the best rugby stadium there is. It's the most atmospheric. But actually, the, the, where the press box is, is one of the worst because you're, you're right down on almost on ground level. So you get no perspective. It's quite hard to see the, the, the way the, the players, the, the, the movement on the pitch. But, but uh, on uh, Saturday, because there was no crowd, you could just, you were so close, you could hear absolutely everything that was going on. And there, there was just this con- consistent din throughout the match, this strong Wigan accent going, Go on, smash him, Curry. Smash him, smash him, Curry. And that, and that was that was Owen Farrell from from beginning to end. It just managed to deliver more than any other game that I think I've watched since we've been in empty stadia. I, I really sort of had that sort of edge of seat kind of. This is really exciting on the refereeing. I, I wrote in the Times this morning that the ref got both big decisions wrong, but England lost the game in the last quarter. That was that was where it went. It wasn't wasn't in the start. Do we even need to discuss the decisions or, or do we all agree that Gorzain managed the situation wrong for the first one and the second one was a knock on? Well, we sort of need Jonesy, don't we? Can't quite understand how Stephen Jones has, has come up with the uh, temerity to defend the referee and say that not only were, the, were they hardly even controversial, but he got both decisions right. I mean, really. <laughs> they're offering you in the press box to drink over the game. I mean, England started the game by giving away penalties and, and that is the big problem with with England at the minute, the way they start test matches, you know, they, I know that there's there's no crowd, etc. But when they lose, it, there's a pattern to the way that they start the game, and and they invited that. This was always going to be a tight game because if you look at England Wales over the last few years, it's been a one score game, you know. So uh, I just felt that Wales they had a slight advantage just going into that game, just because the pressure was on England, and I, th- I thought they handled it well. But I think I, as a former captain, I'd be absolutely livid with, with the referee you know you, if you say to, if he says to you go and have a word with your players you'd probably be inclined to say to him okay can you just make sure you give me time to to uh, just have a word with the players but Owen Farrell probably didn't think about that he just went off and, and did that and I just thought it was very disappointing really um, it's, it's a distasteful way to concede a try if I'm honest and it was also the way that Pascal Gauzet spoke to him as well you know I mean he sort of spoke to him like he was a like, like he was telling off a child and I think there lies England's problem. I, I said it all along. I can't understand why Eddie doesn't have a forward as a captain. Uh, I just think the modern game, particularly the way it's refereed now, decisions every every few you know minutes or whatever. You got to you got to be having that little dialogue. And I'm sure I'd love to know Owen whether you heard Alan Wynne Jones talking to the referee every now and again. Probably didn't need to as much, but just the little quiet conversations. I think England's big Achilles heel. It's not that Owen Farrell doesn't deserve to be captain, but. They need a forward as a captain. Every single major World Cup, apart from David Kirk, has been won by the side with a forward as a captain. And it just makes such a difference. Do you know what? I was going to jump... I completely agree. Because I don't want to sound disrespectful to Owen Farrell and I've said... And I think it's thrown it wide open now because I'm sure we'll come on to it with Marrow's discipline. I've always I've always thrown Marrow's name in the hat. But it's, it's not because it's... I don't think Owen's worthy. Owen's a brilliant leader. I think he's been amazing for England. He's an iconic English player. But looking what Gatland will want as well. You know, you've played with him, Lal, and you've seen him over the last 10 years. Like He, he always wants that forward there. Whether it's not myself, it's been Pete Romani, or it's been Alan Wynn, or it's been Ken Owens, or Dan Lydia on Lions tours. Like it's, he, he goes that forward. Um, and it's so important to be able to get to that ref as fast as possible. But I, I completely agree. I, I think it's got to be a forward moving forward. It's just so much easier to have that dialogue with the ref. 
can I ask you two former captains if if you did make that change because because Owen's captain uh, and but he's also like they call him the spiritual leader he's so much the the the, the number one alpha male in that group that, that he's the de facto captain which you know whether he's got the C next to his name or not so if you if you did make a change and kept Owen at ten or twelve or whatever but made a uh, Mara or Jamie George captain, would that be a, a, an awkward dynamic at all, or would it actually just empower more leadership? Like you mentioned, I, I think, and if Eddie like Eddie Jones can look after him in this situation, he could, like, if you said, right, listen, I need a forward at captain because I just need that constant dialogue with a referee, or not that constant because that's not really the right thing. Less is sometimes more, but more that quick dialogue. But seeing someone like Owen Farrell, like he was an enormous leader on the two Lions tours that I've been on. And I, that's why I, I always try and bat off conference as captain. And you'll be the same role. A captain, like, you don't rule with an iron fist when you're an international captain. You've got like six, seven lieutenants on that field with you who are as influential, if not sometimes more influential in that game or in the training week. So, saving like a Welsh perspective, there's always been like massive input from... Dan Bigger and Alan Wynne-Jones and Jamie Roberts and Gethin Jenkins, like those boys were like coaches on the field of me. And like, sometimes I go 40 minutes and you don't really make a decision yourself because you look at like, when you have a penalty decision, you look at like your two or three guys, you all just have like a 10, 15 second quick consultation from 30 yards away. One of them might be looking to the corner. You all give each other the thumbs up. Somebody might then put his hand up and say, no, 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 actually, I think this. You can have a quick discussion. It's never like a one-man band, captaincy. So if Owen was didn't have it, I don't think it would be embarrassing for Owen. I think you just come out and explain, listen, Owen's not got the captaincy. He's, we're not taking away any leadership for him. All it is is just we're just changing the dynamic between player and referee. That, that's all it would be. So you don't want to leave your players out to dry because I've seen that happen in the past when they switch captains. It's embarrassing. So I think it's more of a tactical thing. You know, Owen's going to be, he's probably, he probably still will be England's most influential and biggest leader, even if he wasn't captain. But yeah, I just wonder whether it'll make a difference to, to do that. But also, talk about changing the dynamics um, between player and, and, and referee. There's a way of communicating. We, we, we see it a lot. Owen has, has, through his career, been criticised for the way he's communicated with referees. And he was obviously furious on, <clears throat> on Saturday over that first try. And as you said in the, in the television box, you had also been furious. But I just wonder whether you've got no chance of, of winning a referee back on side if you chase him and start haranguing him and... and, and that's what happened on Saturday, but, but that, there has been a pattern the, of that. But that's the point, isn't it, Alex? That if you play ten, you've got to chase him, haven't you? Because you know you've got to you've got to make a positive move forwards to go and speak to him. The best time to speak to a referee is when Owen Farrell's just put a kick into touch and it's rolling down the touchline and about to go to touch. You're all running towards that lineout, you know, and you could have a quiet word with him. And the, the other, <laughs> you know, millions of people watching can't even hear you. You're just having a quiet dialogue with him side by side, and just I just think it's it's very awkward for for Owen. Uh, and I agree with Sam. You know, most the, the best number tens in the world are very vocal out on the field. Anyway, you look at Johnny Sexton, Dan Bigger. You know, all these guys. They're, they're, they're you know they're they're instructing you all the time. Um, and I just think he could just do with that responsibility. And dare I say it, I think it would bring out the best in him because he, his position in the team wouldn't necessarily wouldn't necessarily be a shoe-in either. I can't stop playing in my mind that go and have a word with your team. And and Owen did exactly that. And then a few seconds later, he just blew the whistle. It's not the first time Pascal Gauzet has done that, is it? I understand. And 
There's been other referees that have done that, but I just felt it was really, really harsh. I had two thoughts on that. I mean, he, he obviously didn't give him enough time. And there's a story in, in uh, Midi Olympique, the, the French uh, rugby paper this morning, saying that Gorzet has spoken to Joel Jutko and confessed he, he did manage that um, incorrectly. Having said that, there is a shot from, from end on that shows that when ref, when time is called on and Bigger kicks it, England do have players out on one wing covering that side and not the other. And my, and my second question is, it has happened to England before with the same fly half and the same referee. Do, do England bear any responsibility at all for what happened, knowing that it's happened before and that they did have one flank covered? Or is this solely the fault of, of bad referee management? I did notice, I think it was, was it Daly? Um, I think he legged it because he sort of spotted that Bigger was obviously shaping up and he looked ready to, to, and he was obviously facing the the cross field as well. But then I I do think England could be held responsible in some way in the sense that even if, well, I remember when we used to play against England and they had Danny Kerr and Sean Edwards would drill into us all week on every penalty, get back 10 because Danny Kerr taps and goes. I don't know how many times he'd done it against us and he scored. So you need that level of responsibility as well. So yes, and, and England were caught mapping a little bit on Hardy's try. They were sleeping a little bit in the 22 and they didn't respond then. So there is a common theme there, but I will always defend this one. Because I had a lot of Welsh people having a go at me. So you always side of England, the big calls. Like, I'm not siding with anyone. It's outrageous. What what Gauzet should have done, just out of courtesy, he should have looked at England captain, got England captain, time's coming back on. And if he, even if he just gave Owen that instruction out of courtesy that at least Owen could just shout whatever call they've got to get in position and at least they would have three seconds four seconds to get in position which is at least something which would still be fairly harsh but at least he's had instruction but the way you watch it back goes there almost like whispers the damn bigger time back on blew his whistle as if it's like fixed almost do you know what I mean like it was just I just thought it was crazy so I'll always defend that one I'm not defending England I'm just looking at it from a pure referee captain instruction what you would expect as a captain you would just expect that instruction at the times coming back on I think yeah. isn't that the problem with one of the big problems with England right now is is Lawrence you say they've got this pattern of early conceding early penalties discipline if you look back at England's sort of good periods like 2019, they, they had this incredible record for always scoring like the first two or three or four minutes. And Eddie's big thing was like, you're going to come out of the block so fast and with such intensity. You, you, you're going to, you're going to almost scare, scare the opposition with, with, with the physicality and the pace you go at them. And, um, and that's produced in, in the good days, that's produced tries and early scores and, and confidence and momentum. But now it seems that they're coming out of the blocks with the same frame of mind because they think they need to create that early dominance. But in fact, what's happening is rather than creating that early success, they're being slightly frustrated and it's leading to to, um, to, in, to, to being penalised for, for their excessive uh, early intensity. It's sort of gone against them. Well, I mean, listen, I couldn't agree more. I was, I was a big fan of, of, the, of the opening five or ten minutes of any test match, really, talking about what you can what you can get away with and what you can't. I mean, I mean, England talked about, are oh, we going down to Wales? We're going to do this one for Jack Willis. Well, if I was Jack Willis in hospital, I wouldn't have been terribly impressed with the way they started. You know, I'm going with, if, that, if, that, if, that's, if that's what you, if that's what you mean by sort of winning this for me, then, uh, you know, well done lads, because, uh, you know, you've, you've shot yourselves in the foot there. So, you know, if you're going to talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk as well. You know, if we're doing this for Jack, then, then, then come out, out the blocks properly. Yeah, and look, you know, penalties are, 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 you're always going to give away penalties. I think what really frustrates, and Sam and I have given away enough penalties to know this ourselves, that if you're being stressed by by the opposition or you're being played off the park, you're going to give penalties away. I get that. 
But a lot of the early ones, particularly that allowed Wales into the game, were just penalties that that, that, that didn't need to be given away. You know, especially when you've got a referee that clearly is is quite keen to blow his whistle a lot, and and that was evident. And I think that's where the experience comes in. You just got to just calm down. Even even you know, especially someone like Mara, who's a brilliant player, but is is borderline some of those things that he did. And you know, you could argue if you're an England fan, maybe two of them were pretty harsh actually, offside and 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 slapping the ball out of scrum half's hand. Technically, it's not actually a penalty, but you just need to calm down really because Wales didn't have to earn. Their, their field position in that in that opening twenty minutes, and and ultimately they were fourteen points up without actually having done very much at all. And you can't afford that in international rugby. And people said well, it didn't have an effect on the game because it got back to twenty four all, but actually did have an effect on the game. It had a massive effect because the picture that had been painted in that opening twenty minutes was such a bad one to the referee, despite his his his, contro- his controversial decisions that England never recovered from it. I thought England played some of their best attacking rugby that we've seen really since the World Cup probably in, in, in patches they, they seem to have moved away from this mindset of, of trying to play without the ball to just kick everything and apply pressure and trusted their ball carriers and their, and their skill players to, to create the openings and there were I don't know six, seven, eight opportunities that they created and, and some of them they, they blew with poor execution some w- w- was good defence and, and turnovers um and, and some were, were wrong decisions, but there were also some some really encouraging moments, which I know they talked about afterwards, and, and that's the one thing they will grip onto going into the France game, just the interplay between forwards and backs, the speed of ball that they generated, um, and that that led to points, it led to tries, and it helped them get back to, to 24-all. Um, with that Ben Young's try, and at that point, I'm thinking England have got a role here, they can empty the bench, and that they'll they'll probably win it from here. Uh, and then, as as Owen, as you said in the in the paper today, that was the quarter that that, that really lost on the game. Yeah, that, that you know, games are won and lost in the final quarter of a match. Um, that's it's, especially in Six Nations tight games. That's where um, one stretches ahead. And, and yeah, I thought at twenty four all, the momentum was all England's. They they. they Caught up with Wales twice. The if you're a psychologist looking at the game, you'd say, well, Wales are probably slightly wondering if they've if they've had their chance, and and, and England will, will will be thinking, well, we're we're on a roll here. Just just going back to to the conceding of of penalties, and when you, as Lawrence said, you, you know, sometimes under stress you do it. Though the four, they gave four penalties away in those last seventeen minutes, and, and and not one of them was 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 necessary not one of them was because because Wales was so pressurizing them that, that, they, that there's nothing else they could do or whatever they were they were all just foolish silly mistakes you know people not not thinking correctly under pressure god did i really say that <laughs> yeah i i, more, I just more, more more mug than teacup i think really yeah that's a good, good good point but but the yeah. other thing is you you're saying you know the experienced wales team sort of saw their way through it this is about as experienced an england team as you ever get i mean they're always they're always around the 800 cap mark that most of the team have got 50 caps or more i mean marrow the chief offender is up to about 46 i think now so it's like you know, at what point do you, do you well, know? I think I think the you know the three penalties that gave, I think uh, Charlie Ewells, um, Dan Robson, and Ellis Genge, and it wasn't until later on in my career in the t- 2007 World Cup when I spent quite a bit of time off the bench, and I used to come on in the last 20 minutes of a Test match, and I was so so nervous and conscious about you know in a tight game. I remember the Australia quarter final in particular in Marseille, where you just think to yourself, you know, do not be the one that gives a penalty away that, that allows this team to win the game. 
maybe that comes from the hindsight of having, I don't know, 60, 70 caps under your belt already. But uh, I just saw at the bench, unfortunately, you know, did, did not give England the lift that they uh, that they wanted. And, you know, fair play to Callum Sheedy. I think he deserves a, a mention because he had, he had an off day, you know, a couple of weeks previously. And actually, when Dan Bigger had gone off, was it, was that a tactical? Was it just that he, he couldn't shake off an injury at half yeah, time? Yeah, it looked like an injury, yeah. yeah. And I actually thought that that might be to, could have been a turning point for Wales. But, uh, you know, fair play to Callum Sheedy. I mean, they he showed a lot of bottle um, to, to nail those three kicks and, and really take them out of sight. The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get their team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18plusdrinkaware.co.uk Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Ruck Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Funding Circle and Saracens, British and Irish Lions and England hooker Jamie George is with me to explain how Funding Circle are supporting small and medium-sized UK businesses because Jamie, you, as well as being a rugby player, are also a small business owner. Yeah, I own a business with uh, a good school friend of mine, Rhys Carter. It's called Carter and George. We're a physiotherapy business. Uh, We've been up and running for about six years now and sort of our strap line is delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. If you're looking to improve different parts of your business or hire talent with extra know-how, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Jamie, you want to do the sign-off for us? Absolutely. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how I'm growing my business backed by Funding Circle. Warren Gatlin was in the stadium in, in the corporate box watching on. You know, one of his jobs would have been to run the rule over captaincy contenders. Owen Marrow, we t- talked about. Alan Jones, of the three, probably, well, definitely emerged from the day on, on top. What, what do you think is in is in Warren's little notebook at the moment about the shape of the squad and the and the the kind of identity of the captain and 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 the the influence that that person could have over the tour. I think most people will probably think, oh, it's going to be a really tricky one. But the only thing is, I, I don't want to sign the Sam Warburton show, but I was going to say, I'm going to say a story which will explain what I'm on about. So if we went to 2013, which I, I was captain for that Lions tour, but if going into round four of the Six Nations, I would have been nowhere near it because 
the first game I remember I played against Ireland, I was just okay, but I got injured. So I, I you know, didn't pull up any trees. I just did normal game, got injured, didn't play in round two. Round three, then I came off the bench against Italy for like 20 minutes. So what can you do? Do you know what I mean? So I was going into round four, nowhere near a contender for Lions captaincy, nowhere near. So the only thing I'll say is, with the last two rounds, which is where it's all going to happen, a lot can change. You know, like you could have, like Stuart Hogg, I think has been brilliant, mind. And I know we're talking about forwards at, at being captains, but if you're looking at one person who at the minute looks like he's going to be a shoe-in, the, the only thing I know Warren Gatton to be keeping his eye open for massively will be his, his defensive qualities. That's the only thing that's, I think, held him back. He always says that you need a captain who needs to be a starter. But if you're looking at a starter, if you're looking at back three, I, I thought Josh Adams was impressive yesterday, but I think Watson... Hog and they're the only two shoeing back three players, I think, at the minute. I think the other position is wide open for, you know, Van der Merwe, Zamet, Josh Adams, May. Like those guys are on the fringes, but Liam Williams. Yeah, Liam Williams. You got those guys, you got that sort of group of six, but as starters, I think Watson and Hog are shoeings at the minute from what we've seen. So my point is, a lot can change in this last two rounds. And like, you know, Owen could have two magnificent games in the last two rounds and, and then be front runner but I think what's going to hurt him is just like the lack of rugby that, that those Saris boys have had it, it makes a difference so I, I I heard Jamie George say oh we've treated it like a pre-season I went into both Lions tours off the back of two three months off because I, I got injured before both tours I tell you it's a nightmare and I only just got fit for the test matches in the, in the nick of time and luckily I had a head coach who knew it took me two or three games to get back to, to the top level he had a bit of faith in me and I managed to get back to that level but I think I'm not sure you can be a captain of a Lions when you're not going to play rugby for potentially three months at top level. They got to look at like a short-term loan or something because there's a statistic. I wonder whether this is why England haven't. I thought two two games would be enough for England to get rid of the cobwebs. Adam Beard yesterday, who started for Wales uh, Saturday two days ago, had more minutes under his belt this season, and he hadn't particularly been overplayed than the whole England pack put together. Like. Surely, surely, I, I remember thinking, I'm not going to use that pre-match because if England win, it's just one of those stats. That's just like, you know, just one of those things. You get all these fancy stats which come pre-match. But, but if England lose, I think then it suddenly has a bit more weight to it because it just shows that like the penalties and the lack of physicality that we're seeing from England compared to before, it's having an effect. It's having a massive effect. So I, I do think that England's players need to play more rugby in between campaigns because they're, they're not rolling into internationals like, like they used to be. A couple, a couple of things on the, on the captaincy, just picking up on what Sam was saying there. I mean, it, Warren Gatland would have always, in a COVID-free environment, would have been looking particularly at away games and how players respond yeah. in these away fixtures because ultimately that's where the Lions tour was supposed to be played, in a hostile environment against the world champions away from home yeah. uh, in South Africa. Now, because there's no crowds and because the Lions tour is in all probability not likely to happen in South Africa, you know, you, you ask yourself, does that change, you know, the, the selection ever so slightly in terms, probably not massively, but there's not as much onus on, on performing, you know, under pressure in a hostile environment away from home. So, and I know that's a big thing for Gats. And, and, and just going back to the beginning, I mean, I was, I was one of many people that were, were wondering whether how much more top class test rugby Alan Wynne-Jones had in him, you know, and maybe at the beginning of the, or around about Christmas time, I would have said, you know, maybe the likes of um, 
of Itoji, you know, and, and one or two others have pushed ahead in the pecking order. But actually, uh, I take a lot of that back. In fact, all of that back. I think he's been absolutely magnificent. And even even in the performance on, for someone who doesn't play huge amounts of rugby in between test matches, I mean, I'm I'm staggered at how well he plays because it almost defies what um you know what we're saying about Saracens plays you know he he has a, a way of work he was magnificent at the weekend and you know he took responsibility some of the, you know the work rate in terms of some of the tackles he put in particularly on Billy Vanapolo who was looking you know somewhat a bit more dangerous than than what we've seen previously so yeah for me he's I don't think there's any question he'd be he'd be on uh, He'd be the captain. I think it's going to take a massive performance. I think that just sealed his fate, really. I think he's he, he, he's been brilliant, and and I just think it just goes to show, really, that uh, that you can defy your age and and play magnificently. And I think he epitomises exactly what Warren Gatlin wants. Lawrence, do you, do you not think that the the, well, the the flaw in what you said? I think you're probably right, but it's not the flaw there that that the best. Um, uh, second row partnership by the time they get to Lions test matches might be Marrow and James Ryan. Well, no, well not not on the evidence I've been watching. Um, I agree. Yeah. I mean, James Ryan has not been playing well. Um, you, you know, do you know how tough those those second rows are in South Africa? And they got about twenty of them, by the way. Um, <laughs> they, they are they are they are seriously tough people, you know. And I mean, that could be. I mean, it could be the actual key to the whole the whole tour. You know who who you pick in that in that position, quite frankly, because uh, you know they're absolute monsters, those blokes in South Africa. And you know, I just, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't have any qualms about picking Adam Wynne Jones. I thought he was quiet in the autumn series, but I think the Six Nations, I think he's really, he's been brilliant. And even it's just like I, I haven't seen him lose his cool. He's just so composed, so relaxed. He's just so comfortable at that level now. It's even like bits of skill, like you know, where Wales they score points, they get ahead. England put a really high kick at kickoff, massive chase, and he goes up in the air, which I think is the hardest skill in rugby, by the way, is to collect a kickoff with a lifting pot with a, with eight forwards running at you, screaming, and you've got to get up, and he catches it above his head every time. Like, and I just, I, that's like a real key moment. How many times have teams scored? And then they receive kickoff, they drop the ball, they give, and then they just give the momentum back to the opposition. And I just think that you, we didn't hear him speaking to the referee that much, probably because it was subtle when he did it. And two, he's, he's got, he goes about it the right way. And, you know, he's got, he's got 16 years of pro rugby under his belt now. Like he, he just knows the crack. He knows the drill. He knows the crack. He knows how to treat referees. He knows what works. I think right now, and the way he's playing, like James Ryan and, and Mauro, who were brilliant going back last season and the season before, that they they haven't been pulling up the trees that they have been, and I think Alan Wynn's definitely been the form second row of the Six Nations. So yeah, right now I agree with Law. I think he's front runner. And I mean, you go you go to other players like Johnny Gray. Johnny Gray's another one who's been outstanding, yeah. Yeah, right? But is but is he is he is he big enough in the you know to play again? I mean, it's, it's South Africa. It's South Africa you're talking about. They got absolute monsters, and that is it's such a key selection. And Gats knows that you, you've got to partner people who who have physically big enough and tough enough and strong enough to go toe-to-toe with, with the world champions. The other game of the weekend gave Ireland a chance to, to register a win. It was it was the perfect weekend for them to play Italy after the way that things had gone for them in the first two rounds. Um, what, what stood out for you guys? Sexton seemed to, to get a chance to, to impose himself a bit. I'm a bit confused with Ireland because 
everyone just needs to get off their case a bit with Andy Farrell. I think, you know, I don't know. I just feel like he, you know, ever since Schmidt's left, you know, it's kind of careful what you wish for. And then Andy Farrell's moved in and, and I don't think anyone doubted the fact that he, he didn't deserve that, the opportunity to do that. But there's always been this kind of almost, I think there's more questions with, with, with them. And I, and I don't necessarily think they're particularly warranted, really. I think he, he's got a bit of a rebuilding job to do there. You know, in, in moving the team around, he's got, you know, halfbacks that are coming to the end of their, their incredible test careers and, and could continue for a bit longer obviously so um yeah i mean i, I thought they put in a decent enough performance really 27 10 or 28 10 at half time i mean against a you know poor italian side but will connor's sort of stood out really um i thought uh Caelan doris was going to be the man of this tournament you know he was, the, he was my pick and, and obviously th- you know through concussion and, and we wish him well on, it, on his recovery but, but will connor's has been a, a, a good one for them and i think they're steadily improving ireland they're getting better i mean obviously the you know, the, the, the test will come, but uh, a bit unlucky in a few games. The best performance for Ireland at the weekend might have been um, Joey Carberry getting through 17 minutes at Munster. You know, as Lowell says, uh, there's all this pressure on Andy Farrell to um, to change a team, but he hasn't really had a 10 to change to uh, since he's been there. But, well, not, um, one he, not one he can pick anyway. Um, because, <laughs> well, you know, yeah. London Irish went pretty well over the weekend yeah. again, didn't they? Well, it's you know, almost yeah. becoming incredibly Let's... awkward, that, but Carberry could just about get him out of that problem. I was going to say on the subject of second rows. I know he might not have. He doesn't always play second row, but Tyburn is becoming a real um, top top player for, for Ireland. And I, I just, I've just always been, I've been super impressed with him. So I've known known him pretty well from watching him and playing against him. He was at the Scarlets in in Wales for a long time, and he was one of the key players why they won the league. Like you know, you could probably single out three or four players which massively contributed them towards winning the Pro 14 going away and beating Leinster away. Like, he, he was magnificent and he's gone back to Ireland. He's taken that form back with him in Ireland. So I think on the subject of second rows, yeah, Ty Byrne, you know, he plays with six in his back sometimes as well. Um, I think he's been brilliant for Ireland. And I, I agree, like, you know, Ireland were one red card away from beating Wales. Then they lose to France, who are arguably, you know, the best team in the tournament. They put Italy to the sword, which which you know England didn't do at home. They went away to Italy. And Italy will always target home games massively compared to away games. So yeah, I, I agree. I, I get off Ireland's back. They got some great players. I think it's great that Carberry's back. I, I think it's a reason Johnny Sexton has been playing for so long as well. Is you know he needs that competition beneath him to start coming through and playing regular. And I know a lot of his injuries as well. But yeah, I think Ireland are looking okay. I think yeah, I think people they've got players there who are going to be there for the next potentially like two World Cups. So yeah, they got they got a good squad that they're gonna build on. So Andy Fowles, I think in a decent place with Ireland right now. In France, it's I mean, who knows what, what's gonna happen over over when that game gets played. But Bernard Laporte, the, the French rugby president, has confirmed this morning that it was Fabien Galtier who breached the COVID bubble. He went to watch his son play rugby after the, the Italy game, the first game. And of course now they had to they had to postpone the home game against Scotland and the, in, the rugby calendar being what it is, I, I don't know how they see that game being played. They're not going to play it this weekend. So then it has to be played after the championship. And yeah, yeah, the, the word from France was they were looking at the summer, which would clash with the Lions. So it, it, it just, you know, a, a France are in danger of blowing their own Grand Slam chances if, you know, because Galtier may well face some disciplinary action. And B, for the championship, it would be a an immense shame. I, I guess Wales can do them a favour by by going on and winning the Grand Slam and at least solving the problem. We're all enjoying, you know, this French Renaissance in terms of of you know because we 
we just it's been so long since France has been competitive. You can't you can't break COVID protocols and and then be and, and then there'd be no sanction. So you know, if I I think their chances of a Grand Slam are run really, and I think anyone who thinks that they should be rescheduling that game in the summer is in cloud cuckoo land. You know, if you're if your head coach and your leader decides to break COVID protocol, if that was a player. It, yeah. It'd be stood down for a couple of weeks, uh, and, oh, Josh then, Adams, yeah. and then Josh Adam then invited back in, and I just think it sets a terribly conflicting precedent and wrong, really. If if they you know if they're able to replay that game, I think they just have to accept. He has to accept as the head coach the responsibility that he personally has cost France a Grand Slam, and uh, you know it's a great shame, but they'll still. Uh, you know that they, they've still got a part to play in 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 this tournament. You know, and uh, and I just think that that that's what should happen. I mean, of course, France will push for the game to be replayed as as late as possible, but I don't believe they should be allowed to do that. Well, the Six Nations you, you began. The, the the chief executive explained that their intention would always be to to rearrange matches. He said use the fallow week, but well, the rugby politics. But, re- but, re- but, re- but rearrange for what? For rearrange for a couple of positive tests, but actually a breach of COVID protocol is a, is a slightly different. And also, you know, listen, yeah. listen I, I couldn't, you felt for France because they wanted to celebrate the fact that they hadn't won in, in, uh, in Dublin for a very long time. But, you know, even after the match, you know, you could see Gautier hugging his captain, Dupont, knowing full well that he'd breached COVID protocol. So, you know, my, I can't really defend him in, the, in, the, in that sense. Yeah, and, and it's A, for disciplinary reasons, and, and B, I don't think it does anything for the championship to have one game moved to the summer, which could be a decisive game. Surely surely they have to step in and say this is a, a 28-0 defeat or or 25-0 defeat to France and, and at least retain some integrity, but also also send out you know, a signal that France are fortunate to be involved in the first place because... The French sports minister was putting a lot of pressure on them to get everything right, and and looking at all the other countries and worrying about what the other countries' protocols are, and then it happened that um, the France were the ones who who broke it. What does it What does it do to um, the whole French dynamic to to have this happen? I mean, jo- Josh Adams can blow it, and then as you say, Sam, he can go out for two weeks. He's being naughty boy, come back again. But if, it, if finally it seems that you know for the first time in a decade plus, where uh, France have got their their whole situation, their coaching set up, everything everything was pointing pointing in the right direction. But if if it's your head coach who we know is not the greatest man manager anyway, so I don't know how much the players love him, but they obviously play for him at the moment. But if he's a guy that's lost them a, a Grand Slam or a Six Nations, that must play havoc with relationships and confidence within the team, no? Oh, it's got to. Oh, I, I, I'd, be, I'd be livid. If, I, if a player stepped out of line or a coach stepped out of line and cost you a Grand Slam, it's a tough one because you're coach and so you can't bite the hand that feeds you type thing, isn't it, you know, but... You'd be absolutely livid, and I think they should finish the Six Nations in the window that it's that it's in now. I, th- I think it's getting messy trying to move things into the summer and beyond. It takes away from the drama. And I think it sets the precedent as well. You know, you got you got to realise how serious this sort of stuff is. And if an MP gets caught travelling around the country, they're getting severely punished. So I think it's got it's got to be the same whether it's in sport as well. So yeah, I mean, do I'm a massive fan of France, and I don't want to talk ill about them. I'd love to see a potential Grand Slam showdown on, on the last weekend but this isn't a me personally with France it's just a, a Covid issue you know so I just think you've got to treat it as serious as, as everyone else Is it a sackable offence? No 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 I don't think yeah, I, think that's, yeah, I, don't, I don't think it's a sackable offence. Look, he, he's just had a 
sacrifices have to be made and I'm sure there's lots of people that like to go and spend a weekend with their son or daughter or, or go home to see their family but you, it's, it's not what you sign up for you know and unfortunately uh, you know he's had an error of judgment and I think the fact that it would cost them the chance to play Scotland and potentially a chance to win a Grand Slam is, is a punishment enough quite frankly but yeah. I, I, I can't see that decision being made any other way I think it just sends out the completely the wrong message to players fans and anyone if 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 they say, oh, it's okay, you broke the COVID protocol, but don't worry, because you've won every game, we're going to give you a chance to win another one. I just think it would be the wrong message. And that's nothing personal. That's not a personal attack on Fabian Galtier, who I quite like the bloke, but uh, I just think it's the wrong message, really. And I think France need to accept that, and they need to accept it quite quickly as well. Is it an error of judgment's quite a nice way of putting it, Lol? I mean, it's um, it's, it's a, there's a sort of arrogance in it, isn't there, to, to thinking I, I don't have to follow the rule. I mean, it's not like he made a mistake. It's not like he wouldn't have known. He's made that decision. Well, listen, once you've done that, I mean, I, th- I think you've got, you know, he he knew that he'd done that and and, and yet continued to sort of uh, celebrate with his players very, you know, very, very closely. So, uh, you know, I think, he, I don't think they can look any further than, than internally for, for, for the reasons why they're, they're not competing for a Grand Slam. I just go back to Owen's point about what's the, what does it do to the dynamics? And we know how strong the the player opinion is within any French camp and, and if they if they start turning against him, if if, if he loses that element of respect, then then the decision would, would have to be made because Josh Adams misses two games, comes back in and plays. He's got a point to prove. If you're the head coach, you're setting the standards, and if if you're the one at fault, then. I, I would have thought it puts his position in under question or certainly under scrutiny. The, the way the French are, I think they just shrug their shoulders. He'll apologise uh, to the squad and, and they'll move on. You know, this project that he's talking about is is not going to be derailed. Bernard Laporte will make sure of that. You know, they're, they're onto a good thing with the coaching setup they've got. You know, it's, it, it, it is a big setback because let's be honest, France haven't won a title for, what, 11 years now? And they probably should have won it last year, but they didn't. And this was their year. This was going to be their year. And, you know, maybe it would give them even more incentive moving towards the World Cup. But uh, they're not going to get any worse as a rugby team as a result of it, I don't think. It just it delays their, you know, what what should have been a, a pretty strong chance to win the title. And and, it's, and I think it just gives, um, you know, gives Wales a massive opportunity as well. If Gauthier was, was to lose his job, then... Um... Does that mean that Sir Clive comes in? Because he applied for that one, didn't he? We'd all love that, wouldn't we? <laughs> did he actually apply for it? I think yeah, well, I think he was invited to apply. He definitely had an interview. The French clubs then had a vote on whether they would allow a, a non-Frenchman to be the head coach. And um, they said, on no account will we ever allow a non-Frenchman to, to, to lead our team. So <laughs> maybe he wouldn't get... Maybe, maybe they'd reject him again, but... Uh, I think the Six Nations have to make that decision this week. We're in a fallow week now. Everyone needs to know where they stand heading into into round four. We should just sign off with with uh, with our gods of the week. You heard it here first, Alex. On St David's Day, I can't I can't nominate anyone other than Adam Wynne Jones. Really, I mean, I hope someone will say the, the Welsh coach as well, who's been under a bit of pressure. But uh, but I think on St David's Day, for for just a magnificent performance for. For proving me and a lot of other people that, that, that there's still life in the old dog yet, uh, I think Alan Wynne Jones is my god of the week. Yeah, I'm going to go for an unsung hero actually, and somebody I know quite well. Um, he's kind of just gone about his work under the radar amongst the Welsh coaching team, but I think since Gethin Jenkins has come in as defence coach, it's been the one big coaching change that they've made. Since I've left, they've been much better. Um, 
You just signed the death. You just signed yeah. the death note to your coach. <laughs> but I think since Gethin Jenkins has come in, I've seen a real different appetite into the Welsh defence and their physicality in games. And I think he's had a really good effect on on the team. So um, yeah, it's slightly an unorthodox choice, but he's been sort of keep it. He hasn't been put up for too much press. I know he doesn't like all that stuff. So he's just been there doing his work, certainly behind closed doors. But I think he's had a really good effect on this Welsh team. So I was going to say Gethin as well, and um, rather than uh, tip-tap round it and come up with something else clever, I, I, I'll, I'll stick with him. But the interesting thing there, Sam, was, uh, I mean, you, you were there at, at the start of the um, of the Wayne Pivak era. He, he appointed Byron Hayward, and that clearly didn't work. And, and he took the, the tough call to replace him quite quickly. That really didn't augur well for, for his man management, his, his um, ability to, to talent spot as a coach, etc. It was a strange thing to go through. So the fact that he's... That He's made that change. He's gone to Gethin. And again, questions were asked about whether he was right for the job. He was so inexperienced, etc. But he's gone to Gethin and it's worked so well. So I think that 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 whole sort of mini mini chapter in, in the Welsh team development is um is really significant. So um so yeah, Lol, I'm I'm with uh, Gethin as well. So you're outvoted on that. I'll say Wayne on the basis that he's influenced all of those around him and, and he should enjoy his moment in the sun. I think it, Eddie Jones said that if the casinos were open, he should go and put some money on, go and play some blackjack because he's on, he's on a roll. Well, um, it's, he, he is on a roll and, and credit to him. So uh, I'll, I'll nominate him. And it's a, it's an all Welsh panel of, of nominees for God of the Week this week and, and understandably so. Gents, thank you all very much for joining. It's been a great, a great chat. To, to all our listeners, thanks for, for tuning in again. Please subscribe, like, rate us out of five, all those things. And we'll be back uh, next week to, to preview round four of the Six Nations. Thanks for listening to the Ruck Podcast. We're delighted to be teaming up with Funding Circle. And Funding Circle Ambassador Jamie George is with me. All right, Jamie? Hello. Hello. How are you? All good. Good, good. So away from Saracens and England duty, you are a business owner and Funding Circle is a huge supporter of small and medium sized UK businesses. How have they helped you? Yeah, so uh, I've got a business with a friend of mine. It's a physiotherapy business, effectively delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. And we've been looking to expand and grow the business as quickly as we can. And with the financial products that Funding Circle have done, we wouldn't have been able to do it without them. So Funding Circle has been supporting small businesses with access to the finance they need to grow since 2010. And they know that like rugby, running a business takes hard work, drive and a good team supporting you. If you want to invest in your business and take your team to the next level, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Jamie, can you do the honours? Funding Circle. Business finance that backs you. Six nations and six amazing chances to win an unforgettable adventure for you and five mates in a Six Nations European host city of your choice. To take part, enter online now at greenking.co.uk slash rugby. Six nations, six mates and six international rugby getaways worth £3,000. Scrum down and sign up to win at greenking.co.uk slash rugby and watch all the Six Nations action live at your local Green King pub. Terms and conditions apply. 18 plus drinkaware.co.uk. Okay.